Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Equip You and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And with me today is my good friend and our brother in Christ, Costi Hinn. Costi, welcome back to the show, brother. Good to be back with you, Dave. Always a joy, man. Yeah, man, it's really good to connect with you, and I really enjoy, always, as always, visiting with you. You know, it's been a while. I think it's been uh, 2021 I looked up. It's the last time you are on the show, which is far too long. But uh, so... <laughs> Catch us up on what's been, you know, happening in your life, marriage, ministry. What are you working on? Yeah, when I talked to you last time in 2021 on the show, I know we've texted and we keep in touch a bit beyond that. But um, I had, I think I was the new daddy of four. Now we have five and new baby at that time is now three years old and just started a wanna actually last night for the first Ooh, time. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> so one of our girls. Wow. Uh, but yeah, it's been fun. We have five kids now. And then also way back then, I don't think I had um, written a children's book alongside my wife yet. That was That's new as well. She was asking me for a while to jump into to kids stuff with her and she loves it. Obviously, she's a mama bear and totally you know loves teaching our kids and getting in there with them. And so we did that. Planted a church in 2022 called Shepherd's House Bible Church. And that's gone well. It's kind of uh, grown, I would say, too fast for my human liking, but God's done some neat things. We're just trying to keep up and shepherd well, faithfully, you know, lead the people and teach and guide and care for them. And then uh, raise up men as well, which we're doing actively at the church. And then um, I started getting really uh, eager and excited for a book topic on the Holy Spirit. And started doing research and thinking and kind of surveying the landscape of of whatever you survey. I big Eva, the world surveys, all that. And even talking with folks in our church and in some of my circles of friendships, it seemed as though the topic was still getting butchered. And it often is by the extremes. And you know, the NAR, the new apostolic, the new apostolic reformation. I know many people are familiar with it. Some people aren't. You got a lot of chaos in there. You've got the charismatic extremism, I always like to call it, because I'm careful. Not every Pentecostal is a is a crazy, you know, person preaching heresy. Sometimes we just disagree on secondary doctrines, but um the charismatic excesses and those people that push things too far as well, a lot of false prophets and all that. But then also did some research and was finding a lot of surveys and a lot of studies on Gen Z college students. Uh, even people in their 20s, 30s, and beyond, kind of the the Ligonier type surveys that they do and some of the research they did that I think Lifeway published or whatever about what people think of the Holy Spirit and how they view him. And I mean, it was from there, it was all I could do to contain myself. I was I want to write about this. Mainly, I want to study the topics I write about. And so <laughs> studying, I thought, man, maybe I should write, try to write a book on this if anyone cares. And so by <laughs> God's grace, that's kind of the newest project. But same old man, Shepherd's House uh, for the gospel, the media ministry sort of took off a little bit since we talked last as well. It's just using media to to spread sound doctrine. And then the core of it all, loving Jesus and thankful for my wife and my five kiddos, man. Yeah. 
And the great thing is uh, I've known you for, you know, a long time now and you're still the same guy as when I met you. So, you know, that's people a, still call me Costi. Yep. That's yeah. So call me Costi and I'm still Dave. Some people call me, sir. I'm like, no, that was my dad. You know, don't call me, sir. Cause I'll be like, well, where's my dad? Cause my you know, dad, like, Lieutenant Colonel, you know? So <laughs> I'm like, sir is always, yes, sir. You know, like, no, no, but it's, uh, it's, uh, it's good. It's good to see how the Lord's using you. I, I do follow. I don't always, you know, like and whatever, but I, I see your updates and it's always so encouraging to to see how the Lord is using you and also just how grateful you are, you know, to be used as an instrument of his grace and his word uh, to the people. So undeserved. Uh, amen. Undeserved. Amen. Brother. Well, you, you were talking just a little bit about, you know, this book uh, that you that is going to come out here soon, knowing the spirit, who he is, what he does, how he can turn how he can transform your Christian life. Yeah. Maybe say a little bit more about why you wrote it and how you hope it'll be received. Totally. Are we promoting the book right now? Can I, are we? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. There it is. Oh, are it's you, a beautiful cover. You should, did you get one of these in the mail yet or they're coming? I, I haven't. It's coming. It's coming. Okay. So yeah, they told me they're getting them in stock like in not this. So yeah, this week based on the date, they told me that they'll, they'll be at the warehouse at the 16th or something like that. So you're going to get one of these. Um, yeah, knowing the spirit, the book was written because I think it's a huge need. And uh, if only two people care, like you and my wife, that's great. It'll help Dave Jenkins and my wife and I just love the Holy Spirit's work all the more. But let me read you the the table of contents and you'll kind of see, I'll tip my hand here of why I wrote it and then what I wanted to write it on. Table of contents, who is, so introductions, holy who. And I talk a little bit about how people are super confused about the Holy Spirit and his work. Then who is the Holy Spirit? How do you encounter the Holy Spirit? I use the word encounter. I think some people are going to see that and be like, what in the world? Is he going back to the old crazy stuff? No, I use the word encounter because it's one of the words so many people use. Oh, come and encounter. And you, we're going to do an encounter night. We're going to encounter the Holy Spirit. We're going to encounter his presence. Well, I think it's a really bad interpretation or definition of encounter. I need to redeem the word back. We all encounter the Holy Spirit's work. What does that mean biblically? Uh, how does the Holy Spirit change your life in that chapter? Regeneration, sanctification, illumination, preservation, his sealing work, his indwelling work, his filling work, all that's there. Um, summarized, really simple. I like everyday language. I think it was uh, Chuck Swindoll that once said, you know, we want to bring the cookies down from the top shelf as men and preachers and teachers. And I had a mentor once who said, hey, little secret, the smartest guys that actually know their material don't have to use all the big words because they can break it down really simple. And it was uh, a friend of mine, actually, the we had talked about him just recently when you said you got to know him, John Benzinger, who pastors Redeemer Bible Church. I was pastoring with him for uh, two years fully. And then the third year, they, they were working on planting me. And so that's when we planted Shepherd's House. He used to say, if the fifth graders can't understand you, you're you're not a good preacher. You're not a good teacher. You should teach oh. in such a way that the if an 11 year old can't understand you, you're not. He would say it more eloquently, of course, but basically, you're not doing your job as a preacher and a teacher. If an 11 year old can't sit there and track with you, you know, tone it down. Another friend of mine calls it seminitis. It's like you're preaching to your seminary professors in every sermon using big words. So, how does the Holy Spirit? change your life. That's what he does. Transformation. So talk about all those things, kind of big doctrinal words, but in simple ways. 
And everyone should agree at that point, Dave. We should all be friends. Pentecostals should read this and go, okay, all right, I'm with you. And then chapter four, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Again, something we all should understand. The Greek word peripateo means to be preoccupied with the things of the Spirit. What does that mean? What does that look like? The fruit of the Spirit's in there, uh, as well as the deeds of the flesh. And we talk about sin and the gospel and what that looks like. And then once we get to chapter five, I think is where some people will say, okay, I want to see what you said and what you wrote. Don't know if I agree all the way, or they just don't know what to believe. What are the baptism and filling of the Holy Spirit? And then uh, chapter six, what does spirit-filled worship look like? I've talked a ton and taught some sermons, preached some material and written on that before, and I wanted to have it here so it's clear and it links to the way that we worship, a lifestyle of worship, not just music, but some of that's in there. And then what are the gifts of the Spirit is chapter seven. How do you operate in the gifts of the Spirit is chapter eight. And then is being slain in the Spirit biblical? I did want to get into some of that for people. And then chapter 10, super important, does the Spirit speak? You'll hear people say things like, I I, I heard, or I felt like God told me, or I, I heard the Spirit whisper to my heart. Or people will say, you know, the still small voice. You hear a lot of that and sort of the like big Eva sort of speak. What does that mean? Does he speak when he does? When was it? How do you know? So all of that chapter in chapter nine, all about God speaking. And then chapter 11 is how to preserve the unity of the spirit. I wanted to have a chapter on unity because I really do think we we could and should have irenic, still spirited, but unified discussions in which we don't agree on things perhaps, but we still treat brothers and sisters in Christ like family in Christ. Whereas false teachers and heretics and blasphemers are dealt with accordingly, just like scripture. But um, there, there's a need to clarify, you know, are we talking about a tier three doctrine? What I call in the book, I have this concentric circle diagram that I put in there, zone one, zone two, zone three. What things should you break fellowship over? What things should you maybe just go find another church and still love your family, but from your own yard, so to speak, and wave to them down the street? But uh, some important things. And then I got some final commissioning words. I got a word in there to reformed types, which I am. And I've got a word in there. Me too. Yeah, there we go. Oh, there's a there's a, an encouraging uh, exhortation and encouragement for our types. And then the same thing for charismatics. And I'm, I'm attempting to kind of speak to both sides. I've been in both worlds. Um, and then some appendixes on tongues, quenching the spirit, uh, apostles, blaspheming, grieving, all of that. But I just wanted to give people a book that was in everyday language on a massive topic. And every chapter has a section called uh, Learning to Live, where I take the theological truths and give you three simple applications, next steps to take, and then small group questions or personal Bible study questions. So that's kind of the whole, the whole deal of it. Longest book, most researched of all my books, and I really enjoyed writing it. Even more research than defining deception? Ooh, that's a good question. Okay, so I guess I got to qualify that. <laughs> defining deception was, I'm going to call it discovery research. And here's what I mean by that. I was in seminary libraries finding books on guys or gals, like let's say use Oral Roberts for an example, and I'm studying him and I know something's up and I know that he's been errant in his theology 
but I'm going to read his material and study it in depth for the first time. And I'm going to spend months looking at each one of those kind of the hall of generals or, you know, watching hours upon hours of Bethel sermons, those kind of things. Um, that's all pre, pre and, and in the midst of seminary for me, when I'm, when I, when we wrote Defining Deception, boatloads of footnotes. Um, I would say like, again, real time discovery research and then writing on it. This book is post seminary. Um, so I'm using material I've studied before. I've preached it, taught it before, um, or stuff that I I've studied and written out personally, but never published or or preached yet. Things like that. So I would say more, maybe more mature, more mm. vetted research than mm, yeah. than I've had with any book. And that's just the nature of age. I'm sure I'll tell you one day if the Lord wills you know, when I'm 55 or something and we're sitting there like old men, if he allows us to live still, I, I'll look at you and go, man, this is Dave. This has got to be the most in-depth, man. This is the book. <laughs> the research, the book. You're like, really? More than that? I'm like, Dave, I'm 55 years old. My hair's grayer. So yeah. he, the old men always say, the older men always say, you know, each time you you go through another phase of ministry or your age, you look back, you're like, oh man, I was a kid. I'm you know, we're still young. So it's the best I've best effort I've put out, I think, thus far, because I'm older than before. Yeah, that's good, <laughs> that brother. Amen. You know, in in knowing the spirit, you share the startling statistic that 58% of people who identify as Christian do not believe the Holy Spirit is real. Why is that, man? Ah, uh, man, there's a number of reasons. Number one, let me just kind of pick on our churches really quick. Uh We've heard a lot of phrases. Maybe one that sticks out the most is there's a famine in the land or there's a famine in the pulpit. You'll hear like Steve Lawson say that or guys will preach or say that at G3 or Shepherd's Conference in different spheres. And everyone sort of goes like, yeah, you know, and I think we all say those things. There's always been a famine in the land, so to speak. You can go back to the time of the prophets in the Bible. You can go back to, you know, pre-Reformation in the Reformation, post-Reformation, there's these eras where there, there's always areas or places where there's a famine in the land. And so we need preaching and more preaching. But in our day and age, when we hear there's a famine in the land or there's a famine in the pulpit, brother, it is hard for people to find a church that is teaching, preaching, shepherding, feeding, and leading the people into the scriptures and forward in their Christian life. And so I think the stat is reflective of ignorance, poorly taught, poorly shepherded, poorly cared for people who are sitting under pulpits that mainly focus on what the culture wants, or they're trying to win the culture or be entertaining or be liked. And man, we you can still have fun. You could still love people. You could be liked. You could be a vibrant church. You could be welcoming to the community and you could be out there connecting with people through evangelism and outreach. You could do all those things and try to reach the culture. There's lost sheep in the culture. Of course, we're trying to reach the culture. But in the church, yeah. when a preacher steps into the pulpit and when we go to Sunday school or equipping hour or in our church, we call it shepherds equip. We have our equip ministry. When we teach classes, the goal isn't to make people like us or to go, how can I get them in the door? The goal is when you walk out of here, you are going to know more about the topic or the text that we dove into than you did when you walked in. We're going to know the scriptures and we're going to make disciples. So when you see stats like that, 
they are a bit of an iceberg. That's the tip, that mass is underneath. And the mass shows us weak preaching, not enough faithful teaching, and a lot of people just going to churches for entertainment. Yeah, well, we we see this idea even, you know, on Family Feud. And I know you covered this, uh, you know, maybe like a couple months ago about activating the Holy Spirit. Before uh, Kosti answers my question, I'm going to play for you a clip of Holy Spirit Activate at Family Food so that you can hear it. And if you're listening, you can listen to it. So here is that clip now. Tiny, you need 16 points to win. Okay. I'm going to ask you the same five questions you can Hold on. Okay. Holy Spirit Activate. Oh, no. Holy oh, Spirit no. Oh, Activate. No. Holy Spirit Activate. 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 Oh. All right, let's go. 11 years has never happened before. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Holy Spirit, activate. Holy Spirit, activate. I said, Holy okay. Activate. Woo! Nice. Come on, you nice. can do this. Think Hallelujah. about it. Next time you're down at the DMV, Holy Spirit, activate. <laughs> <laughs> How about the time you're sitting up there taking a test you ain't studied for? Holy, Holy Spirit, Spirit, activate. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but what happens when we try to activate? I'll use air quotes so nobody misunderstands me. But what happens when we try to activate the Holy Spirit, brother? I, yeah, I mean, when if the 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 clip you're referencing, <laughs> I have it in my head now. I'm gonna start laughing. Sorry about uh, that. Even in the video, I told people it was on for the gospel. I said, "Hey, now look, we have a sense of humor, and." We get it. Like when she on Family Feud, that lady is like, Holy Spirit, activate and doing all that stuff. Okay, I get it. Being funny, whatever. She's being clever and Steve Harvey's laughing and all that. But that's the kind of thinking people have. Like he's some mystical divine force that's out there. Maybe not even divine, but an expression of Jesus or some form. I heard Michael Todd say in a sermon called, Why Wouldn't You Accept the Upgrade? He called the Holy Spirit God in one portion. But then he says that the Holy Spirit is fashioned and formed for you. And, and it makes him seem like, and he calls him God 3.0. Is he this, like, he's like this newly kind of created or this new addition. It's super confusing. I think people try to sound clever or funny or new and creative, and they end up butchering time-tested doctrine. One of the old heresies, uh, Arianism, taught that Jesus was sort of a less than created being, the Holy Spirit as well. Uh, other heresies, you have Sibelius taught Sibelianism. And what these old historical heresies did is they propagated belief systems that about the Holy Spirit in particular, that he was either just an expression of God and, you know, the the persons of God were sort of overlooked. There's just these expressions, you know, the Father and Son, and, and then as this Holy Spirit. And then Arianism, full-on heresy that, you know, they're just created in a sense. When you say things like people will do this, they'll say, Holy Spirit, we just invite you here. We just invite you to come and, and we just welcome you to this place. Just please come. We want your presence here. When people say that, it's a modern uh, axiom in a way. It's a modern phrase because God is omnipresent. I'm not being nitpicky and like a little Bible point dexter, you know, acting like, you know, er, er, nitpicking everyone. I'm not. I think we should be that way, though. We should be nerds. We would be called nerds. I think it's just normal. We nerds be... are nerds are cool. Honestly, I want to be. I, I 
it'd be an honor. My boys, I always tell my sons, like, I want them to be Bible nerds. We should be Bible nerds. And that's why, you know, people shouldn't think of this as, oh, come on, quit nitpicking, Costi and, and Dave. No, seriously, we should be Bible nerds and understand God, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. He's deity. He's divine. And he is, he's a person. There's personhood taught in the Bible. And I go through all that in the book and make the case clear all over, Old Testament, New Testament, all of it. Well, if he is God, then he is omnipresent. So when you go to church or you're like, I need to activate him or I need to get, you're treating him like a distant divine force that needs to be beckoned in to do anything. I think we need to be more humble than that when we approach the Spirit's work and say, wow, you were here first. Who entered into whose presence? I entered into your presence. You're omnipresent. You were here first. It's not, oh, Holy Spirit, would you just come? Come, like we show up in the building, we turn the lights down, we hit the hazer, we got our guitars and our band, and it's like, all right, now, Holy Spirit, will you come in? How arrogant, and I'm not saying everybody is who does that, how arrogant, though, or how ignorant, one or the other. He was there, is there. Also, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So stop thinking of him in this like distant, ethereal way, sort of beckoning him to come. When the people of God gather, he is both in us. We are his temple, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. And he is with us. Or you might even say, I prefer to say, we are with him. So that, again, funny, I get it. The family food thing, people are like, oh, relax. If we get taught properly, then we will speak properly. We need to believe the right things about the Holy Spirit. So now you get me all fired up. That's why I wrote the book. I This stuff, we just need to treat him like we would Christ or the Father, get his work right, and then teach it and talk about it the right way. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really good. Yeah. You know, we're, we're seeing this though with, with guys, you know, like Michael Todd and, you know, Todd White and, and all of these guys that are, you know, they're, they're all propagating this, this idea in some way or another. And you have even others that are doing far worse than that. And it's like, wait a minute, you know, um, we got we got Charles Spurgeon over here and we got John Owen and we got John Calvin, who was the theologian of the Holy Spirit. And you got John Owen over here, the prince of the theologian of the Puritans. And it's like, dude, both of those guys wrote like massive amounts on the Holy Spirit. Uh, we need to, you know, uncover some of that. And uh you know, I wish I wish some of those guys would just go read some of that along with their Bible. And, you know, that would kind of correct a lot of this, you know. Um, but, you know, I don't think they I don't think as I listen to them and and I know that maybe this isn't as nice to say, but I don't think that they really want to hear what we have to say. You know, I don't think that they really care to hear what we have to say. And that that is that at the end of the day is probably the saddest thing for me. Um, as I have continued to talk about these things, um, it's it's where's the humility? Where's the where's the hunger? Where's the thirst for righteousness? I'm just saying you were in the movement. I'm I'm as you know, I'm way outside of that. And I'm just coming in and I'm I'm just saying this kind of as as somebody who's, you know, walked along the path now for 23 years in ministry. And I'm coming in and speaking about this mostly, you know, as a as a way of an outsider, but very concerned about what's happening and just saying, hey, you know, the, the, the Bible has good things to say, 
has excellent things to say about the Holy Spirit. Yep. And, you know, church history has good things to say. So why don't we go back to that, those two things and it'll correct a lot of these things. So like yeah. you, were, you, were, you were pointing that out too. So as, as you're talking, I'm thinking of the quote, I heard H.B. Charles say that a desire to preach without a desire to study is a desire to perform. And what we're seeing from Michael Todd and a lot of these characters is a desire for performance. And they do perform. I'm going to say this the way, you know, I'm just going to say it roll with me here, but they do perform well. What do I mean by that? Well, they get the crowd to roar. They're entertaining. They're entertaining goats, but still they're entertaining. They are getting a lot of followers, a lot of subscribers. Michael Todd, I think last time I looked has some 2 million subscribers on their, on their church YouTube channel, obviously millions on Instagram and his followers all over the place on social media. So he's performing very well. The problem is again, People aren't being taught the truth. It's a desire to preach without a desire to study. And therefore, it's merely a desire to perform. He loves like a like a circus conductor. He just loves to get them roaring and put on the show. He's got wild illustrations. He dresses like a baller, rolls up in his limited edition Tesla. He walking in to preach like LeBron James goes to play basketball. And so he's performing all right. But... Is he preaching faithfully? No. And what's the goal? Rip guys, slam them, demean them to elevate ourselves? No. We're all going to meet Jesus one day. Every man who claims to be one of God's ministers will meet the Lord. So there's that. That's an eternal reality. But reel that back a bit. We have an earthly mandate. That is to preach the word, to refute error, to shepherd the flock of God among us, like Peter talks about in 1 Peter 5. This is the baseline job description. So when you're butchering that, yeah, your other your other counterparts, I won't call us all brothers because I don't think all these guys are brothers. They're not in the faith or of the faith because they're not preaching the real gospel. So I'm not going to call them all our brothers. I'll just say this, those others who claim to be preaching and teaching and doing the same thing, they're not preaching the same Christ or the same gospel or the same version of the Holy Spirit. So you got to call that out and point that out. And at the same time, it we're always in the minority because it's a narrow way. Um, I am I I evangelize and and preach like like a post millennial guy. I'm zealous for to see people saved and to see society transformed and to, to see all the things that we see in the world that are evil and wicked turned over for the glory of Christ. So. A lot of, you know, they, I think I had a friend of mine that says, you know, I, I believe and trust the Lord, you know, he's pre-mill. He's like, I, you know, I trust the Lord and believe in what's coming like a pre-mill, but man, I'm going to preach like a post-mill. And the idea being like, we're all for reaching people. We're all for seeing change in our world. Yes. And amen. But how we go about that needs to be done the right way. You don't trample on doctrines and butcher pneumatology as Michael Todd is doing and use, well, look at all the change that's happening. Look at the way people are coming. No, that's pragmatism. Uh, if you really want to see change, then you preach the gospel, you preach the truth. But in general, we're going to be in the minority. It's a narrow way. It's a narrow gate. It's a narrow road. So the idea that mass people follow that stuff isn't surprising, but then also we're not going to be passive. We're going to be 
active and proactive in preaching the word, um, kind of going down swinging, so to speak, if we do go down or if they are getting popular, we're not going to be silent. That kind of idea, I think, is really clear in the Bible, even with Paul's ministry. Yeah, yeah. As I've started, you know, talking about false teachers in the last couple of years, especially, I've just kind of thought, what is most helpful to people in in talking about them? And you know, growing up in the churches I have, and 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 you know, being involved in the local church and outside of it, as you know, well, I've just kind of thought most people they don't really know who these people are, so we have to explain who they are. We have to explain, you know, what are they done? You know, like you mentioned, Michael Todd's massive following. Most people would have no idea. They would have no idea about, you know, Todd White's influence. Um, they would have no idea about, you know, uh, what their doctrines are. And then not only so not only talking about that, but then what is their doctrine? What's wrong with their doctrine? And then the most important thing I think that we can do, and I know you do that, you're concerned with this and do this so well as well. But how do we how do we counter that? What what is the Christian you know, do about that. And that is so important, I think, because what that does is it it takes somebody from understanding who that person is, what they believe, what they're about, you know, how much are they follow people following and influencing. And then it shows them biblically and theologically the problem. And then what do they do about it? Um, and it's the what we do about it that it's not only the other things that I'm mentioning, but it's the what do I do about it that's probably one of the most important things that that where we can actually serve somebody yeah totally there's a john piper kind of article i think i read it years ago on desiring god he talks about the the questions we should ask sort of a i don't know what you would call it a metric maybe is a good word to use uh for calling people out and naming names and he says when it's tier one doctrine they and they have a lot of influence you look at the size of their platform you look at what what it's causing people to do or to believe. And so you really got to look through those things. And I think with a lot of these examples we've just discussed, even those those criteria are met. And the most important thing we do then after we understand, okay, that's not a great thing to believe. That's not good teaching. That's not someone to follow. Well, then what do we do? We throw ourselves into the truth and we immerse ourselves in it and we obsess over it and we seek the Lord in it and we study the word and we come to live in the truth and then we live by that truth. So the the whole driving force of the book that makes it probably uh, different as well than like God, greed and the prosperity gospel or the other stuff that I've written, um, whereas similar to like more than a healer, more than a healer is all about Jesus. The book is not really a, a rail job on false teaching or anything like that. It's all about Jesus. And it deals with healing and some of the misconceptions out there. But the primary goal of that book, Christ, 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 and who he is and all that he is. This book, I there may be some people disappointed, but I don't even deal, there's not even like big chapters on that are just slamming false teachers or uh, dealing with that. It, I'll deal with their doctrine and their teaching but if you were to fast forward, my goal was if you were to fast forward five years, 10 years, 20 years, and some false teacher that we know right now is commonly teaching crazy stuff is dead, it wouldn't matter. I didn't, it's not like I named everyone in the book. The doctrine they teach, that's dealt with. And that's timeless. And that really is, again, the way that we see in scripture things dealt with, a lot of doctrine, a few names, a few things that Paul will highlight. And he does say to mark people that are causing issues. But overall, the goal was preach the truth, teach the truth, write the truth, and then call God's people to live the truth. So the book is 
is a, a deep dive into every aspect I could possibly get in there regarding the Holy Spirit's work. And I hope it strengthens people. I'll I'll add this too for our camp. I hope that it helps us reform dish types with a little bit of the awkwardness that can come. And some people might say like, no way, or that's not a thing. I think we need to be honest with ourselves. We, because we, we swing the pendulum away from charismatic chaos, can be guilty of having a bit of an awkward relationship with the Holy Spirit. There's, if there was a spectrum, you've got charismatic chaos, then you've got uh, sort of mushy middle evangelicalism that's like, yeah, you know, whatever, it's all good, sort of just exist in the middle. Maybe they're the ones like, oh, we just invite you. And they're like, yeah, we believe, you know, the Holy Spirit, this, that, we agree, but, you know, we just talk really weird and subjective. And then you've got the reform types that sort of stiff arm everything and go, yeah, you are all really emotional and very weird. We can have a bit of an awkward relationship with the Holy Spirit where he's relegated off into the corner because we're not sure really what to do with him. We're very rational, very logical. We're not overly emotional. So we go, you are somewhat of a mystery. R.C. Sproul once said that uh, the Trinity may be a mystery, but it's not a contradiction. It's a contradiction to our human mind, but not in heaven. So it's a mystery, yeah. And so with mystery or with the Spirit's work or how he moves and operates, we're sort of like, well, and you all you also get a lot of bad press and people make weird statements about you. So we're just going to kind of keep you over there. And then I talk to some people who say, well, the Holy Spirit exists to glorify Christ. And so he doesn't want a lot of attention. So we really shouldn't talk about him. I mean, he's kind of just there. We should focus on Jesus. And that's, I think, a false dichotomy mm. in the scriptures. We see much regarding the Holy Spirit. We can talk about him. We can relish in his work. I mean, shocker, you could pray to him. Why wouldn't you ask the Holy Spirit to fill you, to bear fruit in your life? And then how about this? If he exists, John 16, 14, to enable first the disciples, he will glorify me, Jesus said to them. He will indirectly, so we're not the 12, but let's say as believers, the Holy Spirit enables all of us to bring glory to Christ. How about praying, Holy Spirit? Will you enable me and help me and empower me today to bring glory and honor to Jesus Christ? Like You should talk to him, pray to him, ask him to do what the Bible says he'll do. So all these things important, and you might not even have a clue about some of the weird stuff that's out there. Good. Just get some good doctrine and grow stronger. Amen. Amen. You you were just kind of touching on this question, but uh, let's let's switch gears a little bit from talking about those things to some more a little bit more practical things, but that are uh, very important as well. But how does the Holy Spirit use the reading, studying, meditating, memorizing of Scripture personally, and then the hearing of the preach word corporally in the life of the Christian? Well, both are very sanctifying and very useful in in His work. So, first of all, He uses the reading of Scripture because that's God's primary means by which we learn, we are taught. I've been uh, preaching a series at Shepherd's House called The Book. It's a series on the Bible. And one of the common misconceptions and sort of, you know, red herring arguments take you off the branches of the tree trunk, the main trunk of the argument is, well, you know, the, the Bible didn't really get compiled until, you know, the fourth century or so. Athanasius comes along and he makes the list. And so before that, you know, that, you can't really, what did people do? I mean, we all had to hear from God. And so people heard from 
Christ himself or the Holy Spirit would talk to people. I mean, or you just had to kind of go with what you go with your gut and all of that. It's actually not true at all. The Holy Spirit has always used the scriptures. Sure, in later centuries, the church canonized and confirmed and scrutinized. But in general, right when Paul sent, you know, Timothy or Titus or or Tychicus to deliver a letter, scripture was being delivered. The Holy Spirit was using the very words, divinely inspired words of God to speak to his people. When the people were reading and hearing the letters read, they were hearing and reading the scriptures. And so even as far back as right when they're delivered to the churches that they were sent to, the recipients receiving Paul's writing and the Gospels and James and John and Peter, all of this is God's word to us. And so now we should be even more thankful than ever that we have reliable translations, that we have the scriptures in our hands. At any given time, you can look to the word of God and the Holy Spirit will use that. He works through illumination, which in its primary definition is opening our eyes to believe and look at the scriptures with eyes of faith and eyes of understanding. When we look at the Bible, what is illumination? I'll give you an illustration. It is the difference maker between the Oxford professor, who is a total pagan, who reads the scriptures and studies the scriptures and teaches the scriptures in his classrooms by way of just mere academics, and the man of God who, or just the average person, let's say, who just comes to the scriptures and suddenly they make sense and they want to follow this Jesus they're reading about. Illumination is this uh, This is the very word of God. These are the very words of Yahweh. This Jesus is the son of God. That's illumination. I believe these words are true. I must have them. I want to understand them. And then this person who spends their entire career in the scriptures and nothing clicks. Illumination is the difference maker. Also, we might say that the Holy Spirit helps us. He's our teacher. The Bible says he teaches, and he reveals in the sense the very word of God is revelation from him. It is inspired. It is clear. But the Holy Spirit is the one who helps us understand the scriptures. I never go to study the Bible or a sermon without prayer. I ask the Holy Spirit to give me insight and clarity to give me accuracy, to even help me in my ancillary study, whether I look at other books or whether I do more research or whether I cross-reference in the scriptures, to help me in my weakness and in my study. Why do I pray that? Because Romans 8 says that he intercedes for me, he helps us in our weaknesses. Well, I don't care how much I know the mechanics of preaching, the mechanics of study, or how much of a scholar I might ever be, or if you were, and we are just super smart, you come to the study in weakness, a beggar needing God once more to help you, speak through you, and use you to deliver his word and feed and lead. So that would be a, a mixture. I kind of mixed it all together. The, the the lay person, just coming to the scriptures, you need the spirit of God to work. The preacher, you come to the scriptures, you need the spirit of God to work. And so reading the Bible is interacting with that. The Holy Spirit uses that. Let me push one more kind of layer into that on preaching. When we come to the public gathering, or you could even say when you listen to, you know, an R.C. Sproul sermon, John MacArthur, Steve Lawson, Paul Washer, go listen to your favorite preacher. They're preaching the scriptures. Many of the reformers believed that 
the act of preaching was a divine act, not that the preacher is infallible or inerrant or divine. And now we're little gods, you know, like crazy word of faith people preach and teach. No, but it was a divine act. It was divine communication. So long as the preacher was preaching the scriptures, Hmm. when he reads the scriptures, expounds them and exhorts the people forward that God was working through that mechanism as a voice to his people. It's actually a really helpful description of what preaching is and why we should gather and sit under good preaching. But how about this? How important it is then to be in a church that is saturated with biblical preaching, because what is being taught and the way that preacher talks is doing something to your mind. It's shaping you. It's helping you. It's exhorting you. So what is it shaping? And what is it exhorting you to? Is it telling weird stories and being funny and goofing around and you leave and go, man, what a great communicator. Or you leave and go, I really like that guy. He's funny. Or I always like when he preaches. It just makes me feel so good. Or do you leave and say, I am pierced to the heart. I feel convicted. I feel encouraged. I feel exhorted forward. I have greater understanding. I'm spurred forward. The Holy Spirit uses the preaching faithfully in that regard. So very important. The Bible is not your reading plan. Check off the box. Make sure you do it. The Word of God is food for your soul. So you want to be reading it and sitting under faithful preaching. The Holy Spirit uses those things. Mm, Amen, brother. Amen. Well, equally, this this question kind of follows this this last question I just asked you. But why does it matter that our worship is grounded in and shaped by the word? And why is it important that the worship music we listen to is sound in doctrine personally? You know, so what we're listening to, uh, you know, outside of church and then with God's people on the Lord's Day. So good. Well, first, I'm going to offer a a corrective definition and not because I think you don't know this, but you set me up for this. Thank you for the the softball. Um, we know worship is what? A lifestyle. It's not merely music. However, I, you brought this up on purpose. We see it as music. And what people do is they, they then divorce their lifestyle and their music, or they divorce worship from everything else. And like, yeah, music. And so what we get is again, a false dichotomy where we're like, it's just music, or I just enjoy that music. And then everything else is sort of like, we just live our life or tolerate. When you first see worship as a lifestyle, all of a sudden you realize, okay, singing and music is a part of my lifestyle of worship. Therefore, the same way the truth of God matters and sound doctrine matter in all these other areas, it matters in my music. Uh, I think it was Piper who said, to quote him again, said a congregation learns its theology not only through the preaching of the word, but through the songs that they sing. We need to be singing. And if people are writing music, writing music that is rich in sound doctrine, and the Holy Spirit uses that, that's a part of worship. And so very, very important also to speak about and, and if you're going to speak to the Holy Spirit in your worship, that you do that biblically, uh, you say, give me an example of speaking. I know speaking about the Holy Spirit's fine, but what about speaking to him? You'd speak to him in the middle of a, a service that's about Christ and we preach Christ and it's Christ. Of course, you might say, uh, Holy Spirit, would you please convict us today through the truths that we sing, that we might more greatly and more accurately revere God, our Father, and live and honor Christ, our Savior. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you use the preaching of your word today to convict 
to shape our minds, to help us increase in the knowledge of God and our love for Christ. You would ask him to do the things that the Bible literally says he does. So we need to, in our worship services, speak about and speak to the Holy Spirit in a way that is accurate. Why? Because it's worship. We want to worship God in spirit and in truth. Yeah, that's good, brother. Well, you were you were talking about this uh, at, at the beginning of this question at the at the beginning. So what does it look like for the Christian in the pew in our local churches to preserve the unity of the spirit, even when we disagree on non-essentials, but important doctrines? Yeah, I go back to the book of Ephesians on all of this and the way Paul describes the church. We're one. We're one. You might not agree with me. I might not agree with you. Uh, if you're not preaching heresy, you're just you have a different view. I might say, yeah, I think you're wrong. And you might say, "Ah, I think you got this one wrong, Costi. And I go, all right, well, agree to disagree, but you're still my family in Christ. You're still my brother. We can still have gospel partnership. There's still a spurring on towards love and good deeds. We've really got to abandon this current, uh, I don't want to say generation, but maybe the last like 10 years, five years even. It's a very uh, political-like approach. Oh, you don't vote like I do? I'm cutting you off or you don't like you don't like the candidate. I mean, even within within the same party, it's like, well, you're not voting for that guy. Oh, well, I see how you are. We we could all be voting Republican and we just have different candidates we would support. And people are like, you're canceled or, or like, oh, you go to that church. We need to reject the world's definition of unity and only relish in and embrace the Bible's definition of unity. We are one. We are different people, different ethnicities. We are going to land differently on some secondary and tertiary doctrinal issues. And that's going to impact where we might hold church membership, where we'd say, I'm a member here. I'm a part of this church. I give, serve, attend. I disciple. I evangelize. I pray with, and I'm I'm shepherded by that local church. I want to be somewhere where I'm, I'm more doctrinally aligned than maybe elsewhere. Sure, it'll impact maybe where we worship, but brother... The unity of the saints is so important. It's so clear in the Bible, and God calls us to unity. So we need to try to find it wherever we can. And here's what I mean by that. I'm I'm kind of stealing back a line that a lot of uh, false teachers and squirrely folks use where, hey, man, yeah, I know there's problems with this guy or that guy, and they'll name heretical movements and say, but I'm just trying to find unity wherever I can. I would caution against false unity. If you believe the gospel— and you believe the gospel is by grace through faith, no works. I'm not talking about false unity with Roman Catholics or calling Mormons, uh, you know, just a, a branch on the family tree. I'm not talking about linking arms with heretics the way even recently Greg Locke, I got someone sent me a video. Greg Locke is sitting with my uncle Benny. And if, you, if someone's listening and doesn't know this, Benny Hinn's my uncle. So um, they're sitting together and Greg Locke, who wrote a book on my uncle, and all of his heresies is now conveniently, you know, joining arms with him and, and locking arms and repented to him and said, and they're gonna like, I, look, I'm not talking about all those false forms of unity, but we should say in the body of Christ, where the gospel matters and we're walking in the truth, brother, you can be a mill, post mill, or pre-mill. You could both you could be a, a continuationist and I'm a cessationist. You could uh have a different view of baptism, a little R.C. Sproul, John MacArthur debate there. But we're going to find our unity wherever we can, and we're going to plow forward for the gospel. That Mm -hmm. is the attitude we should take 
And then like mature adults be able to say, and I worship here and I've got strong convictions here, um, but I'm thankful for you and I love you and I'm grateful for you. And then, yup, shocker, you just leave it there. Well, what about this, Costi? Well, well, they need to know. Maybe we should just dial it back a bit and stop trying to cancel every single person that is different than us on secondary issues and actually cancel the heretics, the false teachers, the political idol worshipers, and the people that are causing harm in the church. Cancel them, evangelize them too. But let's show a partiality to the true household of faith. And that's really that last um, chapter. You don't need to, and I, I'm talking to myself here, maybe don't burn down the whole house to get rid of one rat. And that is a lesson that I've learned and probably am learning and will forever need to be reminded of. Unity, so important, um, but hard to come by because the devil assaults it. Because a unified church is a dangerously effective church. And so we should fight for that a little more while still being clear. Yeah, no, that's really good. I I share and I echo what you said because it's such an important thing because, uh, you know, the you mentioned eschatology. But, I mean, we could use any example. And you have people being not just with eschatology, to be clear, but just in general with their theology, they, they have this militant view of it. And it's like, well, if it's a secondary or third order issue like baptism or eschatology and we're not talking about the Lord's the second coming of the Lord Jesus and something like that. Have those conversations. Open your Bible. Talk about it. Love, and at the end of the day, like you said, go away loving one another more. If 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 it doesn't produce love, that's where you probably need to look in the mirror. And you know, when we here's where I'll go just for a second. This is where you look at on social media, even, and this is the problem is you you look at on the on the social media landscape and you have to just ask where's the where's the love like are are, are you just going to treat somebody like that in your local church are you are you going to have that conversation with the bible open your heart open and talk to them that way because if you're not then you probably should zip your lip end your account um close it down shut it down uh cancel your internet all of it and just yes, go, go get, go get, go get, yeah, go, go, go get some, go get some, go get some help, you know, and I don't say that to be mean. I don't say that to, to say whether you have to, to just circle back to this. I say that to say, if you have one person following you and you feel any kind of need to, to behave that way, just get off social media. Yeah. Um, we need, we need to, like you said, we need to engage one another in love and the most important thing we can do is do that in person, face to face, you know, or get on Zoom or the phone or whatever. And in case somebody says, well, you've never said that before, I can tell you that I've been saying that for a long, long time. And I think that um, and not only do I say it, but I, I practice it. Um, and so I would just say we take what cost you saying and open the Bible with people, love them, pray for them. And if they won't listen, you know what you've done, you've done the best that you can yep. and, and trust that the spirit will take the word like you talked about. And he'll, he'll do it. He, we're not people's personal Holy spirit either, you know? So we shouldn't, we shouldn't try to 
act like we're their Holy Spirit. We can just be faithful to the word. And then the spirit will take that word and he'll take it in. If if that person is regenerate, he'll he'll use it. If they're not regenerate, then he'll he's still going to use the word. So either way, be faithful to the word. Amen. And speaking of getting canceled and and being unified and all that, if anyone is looking at the bookshelf behind me or Dave and you, and you see uh, any heresy or weird books, it's because they're for research only. Yep. I don't have any weird books back here, but maybe if you, you do. see if you see that hockey puck. Yeah. Toronto, yeah. Yeah. Guy. What's up with that? Yeah. Oh, it's I'm like you're big, Canadian or something. Yeah. I'm a big Toronto Maple Leaf fan. I've been crying for decades over their lack of uh, ability to win. And so if anyone's out there, hockey fan or Leafs fan, you're loved. We're unified in our misery together. Yeah. Well, brother, well, brother where can people go to find you on social media or otherwise? Uh, I'm on Instagram face and Facebook. Um, had to get off Twitter because I posted about, uh, well, Twitter was a dumpster fire anyway, but even then I'm, I was willing to hang around a little bit and, uh, try to do a good job or a better job with that platform. Uh, but I, I posted about homosexuality and started getting, uh, certain types of threats. And then, uh, people threatened to come to my house. Then they posted my information and then people started texting my wife. So, I randomly got her number and started sending stuff over. So I, we just kind of said, all right, Twitter's a, a bit of a dumpster fire. So I'm out. Instagram, Facebook. And then uh, I'm, we have for the gospel is our, our ministry online. It's a resource ministry. The tagline is sound doctrine for everyday people, which is simple, sound doctrine, scripture, put in everyday language. We have a podcast. I release an episode every Monday. It's a, it's on YouTube as well. So there's a video version. And then we release videos every single week on YouTube and on all the social media platforms that are uh, loaded with sound doctrine, evangelism tips. We've just had Ray Comfort posting videos. We've got some from Steve Lawson on preaching and ministry and the importance of the word. And then a host of other resources on evangelizing Mormons, evangelizing Roman Catholics, Lots of uh, basic, everyday doctrinal truths and articles, teaching series, marriage, family, all that. So for the gospel, uh, it's kind of like our our little effort to use whatever mediums God has given or allowed with technology to put out resources to serve and strengthen churches. And then uh, Shepherd's House, our church, my sermons are there if people feel like they ever want to watch um, sermons and and send me their critiques and tell me how to get better. You can go to shepherdsaz.org and watch it on YouTube. And um, yeah, you can send me your, send me your notes and help me to get better as a preacher over there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You get, you guys do such a good job on for the gospel. So I would encourage people like I have many times to check that out as well. Um, you guys do good work, uh, good short videos too. So lots of answers to questions, such an important thing. Um, so keep up the good work there. You know, thank there's you, a, yeah, no problem, brother. Well, you were gracious to have me on. So, you know, thank you for that as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, we got a great team over there and they're sometimes behind closed doors. We're like, guys, all the false teachers and so many bad ministries put loads of money into technology, their cameras, the way things look and, and pushing things online to a whole generation that is glued to their phone. So to sit around and not do anything about that seems crazy. So our team is like very, very doctrinally tight people. 
uh, our contributors, our writers, our video folks, people we have on like you tight doctrinally, but from a, from a media and a creative standpoint, they're trying to do everything they can to present that material in a way that grabs the eyes of the next generation so they can hear sound doctrine. And so, um, yeah, why wouldn't we? Amen. Well, you know, brother, there's a lot that uh, we could say about all of these things that we've talked about today. But just give us, uh, as we land the plane, a, a few takeaways for those who listen and watch this show. Yeah. Number one, understand the Holy Spirit's work according to Scripture. Stick to what the Bible teaches, nothing more and nothing less. Number two, relish in His work. When you begin to understand who He is and what He does and how He transforms your life, relish in that. Um, be thankful for it and appreciate his work. And then third, I think encourage other people in doctrine. Doctrine is good. Theology is uh, our friend, you might say. And it is a good thing to be focused on doctrine and teaching and understanding the truth. Paul even said to Timothy when he gave him instruction for ministry, pay close attention to your life and to doctrine to the teaching to what you teach and so encourage people in that give your life to it uh, but never forget a relationship with god is more than just knowledge it is and so it's not all about what you know and how puffed up we can be it's about a love and a deep passion to live for christ and i think of jonathan edwards and the affections burn with ask the holy spirit even to help you with this that you would burn with affection for jesus and live all out for his gospel and for his glory. That's what I would encourage people to do, man. Amen, brother. Well, it's always good to talk with you, my friend. We need to do it some more, but uh, I love you, man. I'm I'm thankful for how Thank the you. Lord's using you and uh, praise the Lord. So, all right. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.